It can all change so quickly. Van Phillips knows this. He was just 21 years old when he was in a horrible boating accident. He was water skiing and a small fire broke out in the boat that was pulling him. And in all the, the confusion and scurrying about to try to put that out that followed, the, the folks who were driving the boat did not see another boat coming around a blind curve in the lake. And the other boat struck him. When he woke up in the hospital, he wasn't sure if he wanted to look, if he wanted to see how bad it was. And when he finally gathered the courage to do so, he saw that he'd lost his left leg from the knee down. It would be a stunning blow to anyone, but but maybe especially to someone so active. Van was athletic. He was a runner. He loved exploring the world on his own two feet. As his healing progressed, he was fitted for a prosthetic leg. It was 1976, though, and the options available were lackluster at best. The new leg was essentially an aluminum tube, and the foot was a rectangular piece of wood with some rubber fixed onto it. It was clunky, with the, the bottom part roughly resembling a human foot, but with all the natural flexibility taken away. It was heavy and awkward and painful and not much better than nothing at all. Frustrated, Van wondered, if they can put a man on the moon, why can't they make a decent foot? (laughs) I read this in a book called A More Beautiful Question that Jennifer lent me recently. It's by Warren Berger. And in it, weaving through all kinds of stories of frustration and wonder, Berger calls us to a more robust curiosity. He argues that we are born asking questions. In fact, he he shares research that between the ages of two and five, we ask about 40,000 questions, which I can verify. And yet, as we grow older, we we quickly lose the drive to ask, and to ask more, and to ask deeper yet. And then comes a gospel like this one, which no doubt left many of us squirming. I, for one, bristle at it, and I know that I am not the only one And I also wonder what questions it stirs. This passage is harsh, it's intense, and the consequences that Jesus rattles off seem wildly disproportionate for some of these smaller concerns. And further, his words are violent, strangely so, even as he seeks to prevent violence of all sorts, concrete and spoken and even just imagined. What is he doing? And where is he leading us with this sudden and and dramatic goose chase? 
And how, what, how, how might we begin to wrestle with this text without sustaining further pain? First, I want to name that this passage has been used to do real damage, especially in shaming people who have been divorced. I do not believe that that was Jesus's intent. His words here have been twisted and lorded over and against people rather than using them to bring more freedom and life, as was his hope. It's important to remember that he's speaking to an entirely different context here, one in which women were property. They belonged to their husband or their father. They were completely dependent on them financially. And so at that time, if they divorced, they would be cast out from both homes. They would be left destitute. And that is what Jesus is condemning here. The way that society regarded women as disposable. He's calling people to a fuller sense of responsibility for one another. Where they had to find ways of continuing to extend care. And that must have been a shocking notion. It was that ingrained that women were worth something only if they were pure and could be discarded without thought thereafter. In contrast, Jesus is saying that everyone matters, period. Perhaps most pointedly, he's calling them to rise above the status quo, to stop assuming that what is normal is the same as what is right and good. Jesus has already told them that the kingdom of God is breaking in. Now he's explaining that to live into it, they'll have to dream up another way of being together. His language is over the top. But given everything we know about him, all he did and all he taught, I think we're safe to hear his words as hyperbole here. He's just finished sharing the Beatitudes, this sermon about naming all the ways that we are blessed, especially in difficult times. And now he launches into this almost in the same breath, It doesn't make sense that he would flip so quickly, so harshly, to condemning us. Instead, I think he's trying to get our attention, to to wake us up. You have heard it said that it is this way, that it's all this way. But I say to you, how else could it be? What more can you imagine? How can we get curious? He's lifting our minds to wonder, perking our ears to possibility. Van Phillips started with a question born of frustration. If they can put a man on the moon, why can't they make a decent foot? He asked doctors and engineers and physical therapists, every expert he could find. It did not get him very far. People didn't love the question. They figured they were already doing the best they could. And who was he to challenge them anyway? 
As he kept chewing on this conundrum, he changed the question just a little bit and asked, why can't I make a better foot? He began to engage the question himself. He, he had no idea what it might look like, no shape or clarity to this vision. He just had a sense that it could be better. And so he began to consider the possibility of another way. He started going deeper with his research, connecting with people throughout the field, asking why and how and to what end they made things the way they did. And much more importantly, how else they might begin to experiment. He went to conferences. He met with other folks who had lost limbs. He went to the manufacturers. Van moved to Utah and began working for a prosthetics lab. He started tinkering with these new possibilities. Though even then, he still did not have a vision for how this might actually work. He started using substances besides wood and aluminum, trying different shapes on and on his kitchen as a a secondary lab. His prototypes failed spectacularly. For years, they failed. He would make a new leg and try it on, and as soon as he put his weight on it, it would break and he would fall to the floor. Over and over again, he tried and failed. Until finally, one day, it didn't. Until one day, years on, it worked. You, probably most of you, have all seen the results. It's it's the prosthetic leg that looks more like a curved blade crossed with a springboard, used by unbelievably fast Olympians. It worked. And after nearly a decade of waiting and asking more questions and trial and error, Van began to run again himself. If they can put a man on the moon, why can't they make a decent foot? And who is they, anyway? Who's going to make it better? This is the kind of question. This is the kind of vision of what could be. And it's what Jesus is calling us to with his over-the-top teaching in this gospel. He's calling us to an awareness that the kingdom can be here, now. That it is here and now, if we will welcome it. He's showing how the kingdom resides in our refusal to settle settle for the world's status quo any longer. So what's the vision? Better yet, what is the question? And can we make it a more beautiful question? question as we set aside what we assume is and is not possible. It's all right if we don't know what it will look like, if we don't have that vision pulled into focus today. Jesus is being provocative. He's taking us by the shoulders and shaking us awake, asking us to move out beyond the norm out beyond the status quo, to stop settling for mediocrity, 
as our way of engaging with each other. He's asking us to wonder, to inquire, to dream. We can start by asking a more beautiful question, a holier question, a question packed with open possibility. What would it look like to live into the kingdom of God here and now?